Welcome to the Security Sessions podcast, brought to you by Talist and hosted by me, Nera Jones. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the technologies, people, and processes behind information security and delving into topics like data security, remote access, and digital transformation. We'll be speaking to Talis and industry experts to bring you fresh perspectives on how to navigate the world of cloud security. Welcome to episode one of the Talis Security Sessions. Today, the title is Real Threats for Real People. What has the pandemic taught us? I am delighted to be joined by Todd Moore, Head of Encryption Products for Talis, and Rick Robinson, Principal and Trusted Advisor at Goldberg Technology Consulting. I will ask Todd and Rick to briefly introduce themselves. Todd. Thanks, Nira. Um, my name is Todd Moore. I'm, I'm responsible for encryption products here at Talis. I've been in the security business for over 30 years. The first 20 was working with federal government and the last 10 within commercial industry. So uh, different, uh, different customers, but same problems. Rick, over to you. Thanks, Todd. Uh, good afternoon, Nira. Um, I'm Rick Robinson. I'm uh, the principal for um, Goldbike Technology Consulting, uh, my own little consulting company. Throughout my career, a couple of degrees in engineering, uh, a real passion for applied mathematics. Um, I've worked for five startups. Uh, two of them were fortunately successful, um, working in everything from defense to payment systems, um, and then later on working on encrypted voice over IP. And then um, most recently uh, at IBM, I was the offering manager for encryption and key management, where I had the opportunity of not only seeing the development of, uh, of uh, research in the area of encryption and key management, but also watching how the market has evolved uh, for that important technology. Thank you both. Excellent. I'm delighted to have you with us today. So it is undeniable that we live in very strange times. Uh, we are becoming more remote, more digital, and that in itself introduces more risks. So what do we do about that? Are businesses perhaps being forced into digital transformation too quickly and therefore cutting corners? Uh, how can we ensure that businesses adapt to the changing threat vectors as more valuable data gets pushed further out into the infrastructure due to remote working and similar changing behaviors? So to start the discussion, um, what would you say are the top three threats to organization, especially as we look towards 2021? How have they changed during the pandemic? Rick? Uh, well, Nira, you know, um, 2020 has been um, a year unto itself and, and change is an understatement of, of sort of the, uh, the, the practices and procedures and threats that we've, we've seen. And when it comes to protecting data, I think it's really kind of amplified, um, you know, some of the threats we've seen in previous years. Specifically, we're now wrestling with, a, with to a greater extent, a, a lack of consistency in how we protect data, protect our infrastructure. Um, and that lead, leads us to a great opportunity, or not really opportunity, but a, a concern over uh, more malware attacks, more ransomware attacks. And, of course, the best mechanism in this 2020 environment that uh, the bad guys would be using would be through through phishing attacks, all as a, as a means to an end to to infect enterprises, and not just steal information, 
but really kind of monetize the the crime through through ransomware. Um, that's that's a, turning out to be a very convenient and easy way for bad guys to to monetize their efforts. They don't have to deal with with reselling data as much as just getting payment for uh, releasing the data that they're that they're hijacking in enterprise environments. Todd, what do you think? Oh, Rick, no, I, I agree. You know the the uptick of, of ransomware and malicious code has just been, you know, incredible. Especially here in the United States, we've seen quite a wave uptake of, of, of attacks in that area. I, I guess one of the, um, the, the the areas that I see, you know, from a, a threat to organizations is, is just the uh, data sprawl, right? I mean, as as this COVID times has moved more and more of us at home, uh, we're getting very good at uh, finding ways to do our jobs and. You know, I, I think as employees, we're, we're getting even better at doing shadow IT than we ever were before. And I don't think that is mean it in a bad way. I, I think that people are trying to be very focused on being able to do a job. And so if that means I have to use my, my wife's laptop or PC to be sure that my video call goes through because my other work laptop failed, or I try the, the organization's approved data transfer method and that no longer works, I'm going to find something that maybe is commercially available to, to move things around. So I, I think that people are becoming very um, comfortable with, with getting their jobs done and using whatever available to them. And that's increasing a lot of threats for our organizations during the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for that. Definitely phishing attacks uh, have been uh, an increasing problem over the last decade. Um, and, and that brings me to uh, the point that uh, now that everybody more or less works from home, do you think insider threat has just become a whole lot bigger? Rick, perhaps? Um, certainly. I, I think um, the landscape for the insider threat has changed a little bit, or at least what we what we define it as. I mean, the poster child for the insider threat is Edward Snowden, and everybody thinks, you know, that is the that is the um, uh, the definition of, of an insider threat. But actually, I think it's broader than that. Uh, as, as Todd indicated, you know, we're learning to kind of get along to our own sort of shadow IT. And that means that, that we're introducing personal devices, um, whether they're phones, whether they're uh, tablets or, or, or personal laptops um, into an environment that ultimately might have access to um, either the cloud environment or the enterprise environment. Um, and you know, data is, is, is flowing more broadly and more rapidly than ever before. So it's not just that an insider threat is a person, but an insider threat is any of the things that are now accessing that network. And, and whether it's whether it's a, a tablet or whether it's a phone, those two are also subject to the, um, the crosshairs of bad guys as a as a means to get access to that to that important data. And, and there's a lot of data to protect. And now there are a lot of means that uh, that the bad guys can use to uh, attack those networks, attack those environments. Um, so I, I think I think insider threat is actually broader than what it's been before. I don't think we're going to see as many Edward Snowdens out there, but we are going to see a lot more things out there that could be leveraged to attack, um, you know, attack our, our data repositories. And indeed, Rick, that's a that's a very good point because when uh, generally when we talk about insider threats, we immediately think about uh, malicious or, or disgruntled employees. But on the main and in general. Uh, 
employees just want to do their job and they will try and find the means that enable them to do just that. And those very means might not be very, very secure. So it's a it's a much bigger, bigger problem now that the, the pandemic has driven people to work remotely faster than they would otherwise uh, have done. So Todd, what's your take on this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, thinking about, again, uh, it's not always discredible employees from an insider threat. I mean, that data, that critical data that we're creating at our homes and all these remote locations and mobile devices that Rick mentioned, I mean, and also using a bunch of software as a service cloud applications, again, what's available to us. I think one of the the largest threats that we're seeing from, again, people trying to do their job is just misconfiguration. we know that one of the biggest concerns or one of the issues that we see is, you know, folks want to use tools, but they don't necessarily know how to configure the security elements of those tools properly. If it's from, you know, simply as turning on encryption or key management and, and using that tool with those uh, fundamental security capabilities, but not truly managing uh, the keys after they've done that and are losing those encryption keys or, you know, it's could be simple things as just a multi-factor authentication. It's, it's amazing how many threats uh, could be uh, reduced by just turning on something as simple as uh, a multi-factor authentication, making sure you know who you are and, and where people are accessing your particular system. So I think it goes back to something that, that Rick said. I mean, the, uh, the insider threats are always going to be there, but, but it's, it's broader in the sense that, uh, you know, we have to continue to deploy the same things that we've always done in the past to counter those, those insider threats, whether that's from um, defense in depth, um, having multiple access controls, using authentication. So I don't think the mechanisms have changed. I, I think that the, uh, the landscape and the number of elements that are being brought in, you know, those endpoints, mobile devices, uh, machines, others, we just have to make sure that we're deploying the appropriate uh, foundational security techniques. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've always been a, a, a great fan of, uh, of multi-factor authentication in, in every respect. Uh, so uh, that's a very good tip. So, Rick, do you have some tips for us? Uh, well, of course, you know, um, your best practices are, are pretty well known. Multi-factor authentication, I, I can tell you that, um, you know, just within within my my business and from my friends and my family, you know, there, there are no accounts anymore that aren't multi-factor authentication, whether it's our Amazon accounts or or um, any of the accounts we use for streaming media, everything is multi-factor authentication. Um, and I think that, that that unto itself is a huge step that everybody can can pursue. And I do, I do see now that we have it all enabled, I do see attacks um, against my accounts um, because I'll get a prompt for a one-time password on my phone. Um, and I know I didn't just log in, so I know that the um, that the bad guys are out there, you know, uh, trying to log into to all the accounts that they possibly can get access to. And so, and so that I think is is at a very minimum something everybody should be doing is is multi-factor authentication. And then the second thing, uh, one thing that I think that everybody kind of forgets are the basics about disaster recovery. Make a backup of your data. Make a backup in multiple places and, and go ahead and put it on a thumb drive, but put that in a secure location at a bank or if you have a if you have a place, you know, in your house that's that's secure and offline. Um, prepare for sort of the worst. It's it, unlikely it's going to happen. But, um, you know, that 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 bread and butter of security should continue to be pursued now more so than than ever before. You know, people don't want to lose access to their um 
to their online accounts, use a password manager, use multi-factor authentication. They don't want to lose, you know, their family photos, make a backup copy of that, you know, standard practice. And I think somewhere along the lines in the last 10 years or so, we kind of forgot to do that or stopped doing that. Um, but I think those those two or, or three things will really kind of uh, make a big, big difference in, in protecting our, our data. And they're not, they're not difficult to do, especially uh, with the availability of, of phones as the as the second authentication method, um, it makes it just so easy. And, and there's really no reason people can't be taking those basic steps today. Oh, ab- absolutely. I, I totally agree. So a combination of, uh, of technologies that are easy to use, uh, as well as the appropriate uh, processes to, to manage all of this new environment. So talking about them, um, about processes and uh, as we sort of uh, deal with uh, with this pandemic is this a, is this a new thing that should uh, now form part of uh, uh, what we uh, traditionally term as a business continuity plan um well this is Rick and I, I think um it should have been there really all along because a pandemic is in one way or another nothing different than a, another natural disaster whether we consider those natural disasters to include earthquakes or fires or storms or hurricanes, power outages or infrastructure outages, um, business continuity uh, and business continuity plans shouldn't be uh, so specific that when another natural disaster comes up that the business continuity plan can't kick in and, and, and help keep that business running. Um, you know, when we, when we look back uh, about eight years ago, there was a a uh, hurricane that hit New York, uh, Hurricane Sandy, flooded everything, um, and many of the of the financial institutions had not even considered that a hurricane could get get up that far or do that kind of damage. So their business continuity plans were in some ways too specific. But what they should have been thinking about is if the entire infrastructure within the city of New York was unavailable for a period of time, how could they keep their business going through another data center or through a cloud? They should have been thinking about that. And now in the world of, of a pandemic where we're all working remotely, you know, how different is this from, let's say, a, a hurricane or a massive snowstorm? Or if we live in California, let's say an earthquake like, uh, like uh, Oakland experienced, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Um, this, this should be part of uh, a business continuity plan and really a good business continuity plan, like I said, um, is one where it's not so specific to an issue that it fails if that issue occurs, such as a pandemic, it should be broad enough to say, regardless of what happens in this location, business will continue, and here's how it'll continue. Extremely valid point, Rick. What do you think, Todd? No, I I, I agree, Rick. Um, you know, uh, pandemic uh, is, is always been there in a lot of different forms in terms of natural disasters. I'm I'm thinking back to uh, you know within Jamalto Talus, we we build business continuity plans. And, you know, pandemic was always one of the line items that we included in those plans. And, you know, within the room of folks, we kind of chuckle thinking, well, that may never happen. And guess what? Here we are, 2020 happened. So it's it's kind of amazing that we're actually putting those plans in place. But but I agree with you that, um, you know, the big things, I, I think a lot of organizations thought about how do we keep the business going? How do we keep the IT moving? How do we keep our employees, you know, doing their jobs? But it's some of the smaller things that I think surprised me the most um, as part of those business continuity plans. And, you know, we may think that they're 
kind of small and not important, but a lot of us were going into offices every day and interacting with folks and, and we missed that social interaction of, of seeing everybody every day. And, you know, some of us were, you know, familiar with a workstation or an environment where we had all the tools right there when we walked into our desk and it was no longer available to us. So, you know, I think things had, had to change a little bit uh, from a business perspective so we could still be uh, successful at our jobs. And I guess what I've learned from business continuity plan is, you know, as we go forward and thinking about moving out of offices into remote working as an example, you know, what are those little things that we uh, kind of glossed over that last time that we'll want to think about as, as if we make our employees successful and keep our businesses successful going forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what uh, uh, th this makes me think that, uh, uh, and uh, in in uh, in the security industry, we've always talked about good governance, and it seems somehow perhaps it has been forgotten uh, over the years, and uh, the principles that were there decades ago are still the same principles. So, do you think organizations perhaps now uh, will actually listen to this? Uh, wake up call and uh, be more resilient and or secure as a result of uh, uh, the pandemic driven changes this is right I, I think so uh, I think they will be because um, not only are they seeing the necessity for this to continue to deal with their with their uh, organization and, and ensuring that, that business proceeds but they're also getting it from another perspective and that is that they're probably um, locked down in their home uh, with their spouse and, and their kids in, in, in an environment that they never planned uh, to be the, the, the home base or the office for so many people in one small area. And so now they're concerned not just about their business, but the business continuity of their kids having to go to school remotely, their spouse um, also having to work remotely, and um, you know the infrastructure within their Home has to be, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a microcosm compared to what an enterprise goes through. But just like the little infrastructure within their home has to be completely bulletproof, so that they can do their work and keep everybody else in their family happy. Um, and and I could tell you, you know, when the internet is down in our home, um, you know, I can tell because I've got three people standing at my office, you know, wanting to know like when it's going to come back up. So it becomes, you know, becomes very important at a very local level that we have business continuity or continuity in, on our endpoint infrastructure. But I think that amplify, amplifies the importance of making sure that our businesses also have the support it needs to guarantee continued operations, regardless of the disaster that, that, that comes their way. Thank you, Rick. Todd, what do you think? No, no, definitely agree. Will organizations be more resilient and secure? I absolutely uh, agree with what Rick was saying. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, organizations will have to make sure that uh, standard common security practices are pushed out to no matter where folks are doing their work, whether that's in an office or at home, and no matter what device that they're using, whether it's a mobile or uh, a fixed desktop or laptop. So there will be consistent um, security policies that need to be managed, and, and there will be basic security practices like backup and disaster recovery that needs to be managed um, across all that different infrastructure and, and types of devices. I think the other thing that's going to help us uh, from just a, a pandemic organization resiliency perspective is just, I mentioned uh, data sprawl and 
you know, how data is just finding itself in a lot of different places. Uh, and organizations, you know, want to get control of that and maintain that. So I, I think that you're going to see a lot more implementation from organizations of discovery mechanisms, um, not just one time, but monitoring, making sure that organizations understand where their critical data is or an organization's critical data is, and then deploying appropriate tactics, tactics to protect that information. So I think at the end of the day, uh, the pandemic is teaching us, uh, you know, a lot of great things about security and implementing those best practices as, as we work in a lot of different locations. Yes, absolutely, Todd. And uh, you just mentioned uh, data sprawl. So, uh, and of course, the more data we have, the more distributed it is, uh, uh, the more conducive it is to uh, to criminals. So on that point, how do you see the threat landscape change as we settle into this new normal? So as we, uh, as we look at, at- 2020, you know, to Todd's point, you know, there's been this huge data sprawl and one uh, specific industry is seeing that firsthand and that's the healthcare industry. Um, You know, we have millions of people that have now uh, been tested for COVID, been engaged in hospitals or clinics. That has created an enormous amount of data. And what we're, what we're seeing now is just new, new opportunities for, for monetizing because it's more data that didn't exist before. I believe in the, in, the, in the story of Willie Horton, people asked him why he robbed banks. And he says, because that's where the money is. So when we look at all this new data that's out there, especially as a result of COVID, um, I think we're going to see the bad guys taking that same approach. It's like, well, I've got all this, all this data now. I can lock it up because that's where the money is. Um, and I, I see uh, you know, as, a, as a means to an end, I see they're going to focus more on phishing attacks to to get people to get that that uh, that environment somehow to expose the data so they can capture it and and lock it up so they can get paid uh, you know monetizing their efforts um, because there's just all this data that's now out there in the healthcare industry that didn't exist before were very distributed you know the healthcare uh, environment has been one that has is historically been distributed, everything from local doctor offices to, to local clinics, to local hospitals, to national health organizations. Um, so it's been a, been a very distributed model, but that I believe represents an opportunity for the, for the bad guys to find one of a number of ways into that environment where, again, the approach, the easiest way to monetize it is to lock it up with ransomware and get paid. Um, so I, I do see that as a as a growing uh, threat um, as a result of 2020 and moving into 2021 and 2022. At the same time, I think um, uh, organizations are are so dependent on this new data to really begin to diagnose um, the better vaccines, how this will impact people in the long term. You know, doctors and and researchers need access to that data so they can do their work. So. As we move ahead, we've got two sort of conflicting factors. We've got the bad guys that want to lock up the data because it's an easy way to make money. But at the same time, we've got um, medical professionals who need access to that data so they can do the good research work that, that is going to keep us healthy for the next 20, 50, 100 years. Absolutely, Rick. And uh, with all the other implications this has on the, on data privacy in general, so, Todd, what, uh, what do you see uh, uh, some of the threats being that you see uh, becoming more of a reality next year? Well, 
I, I, when I think about the threats and, and how a, a CISO is going to react to those threats, um, I, I think the, uh, the the top three priorities that a CISO has to think about in 2021 is uh, in three categories, discovery, protect, and control. And, and what I mean by that is the threat that uh, Rick so well explained with the data sprawl and, and healthcare data being all over the place, but there's also more regulations, uh, privacy regulations that you mentioned near coming out. And so as a CISO, there's so many things that uh, you have to deal with. And, and regulations aren't a bad thing. Compliance is not a bad thing in this sense. It, it, it really means that you need to understand where the critical data is and you need to find that so you can protect that from those bad guys. And I think from a protection perspective, um, you know, not all data is created equal. Uh, there are more things critical to an organization or to yourself personally, and you want to protect those in different ways. And there's a lot of different mechanisms for that. So I think an organization has to understand uh, where the critical data is, but also protect it, what's, what's most important to them through the last element being control through, through a policy that makes sense based on what that type of data is. Centralize your keys so you can manage the, uh, uh, the data encryption if that's something you're using or tokenization across that. But one thing we mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast was just configurations. I, I think that one of the threats that CISOs need to take a look at is as we use more and more commercial applications and we use more commercial pl public cloud vendors, we want to make sure that we're deploying consistent frameworks, consistent templates to make sure that uh, we're putting the right security as we use those commercial applications. So the threat landscape, um, I don't think is changing so much uh, throughout pandemic. I think the bad guys, as Rick said, are looking for ways to monetize it where they can. So uh, from a security perspective, we just have to make sure we're filling those holes and, and making sure that we're having a holistic approach to, uh, to make sure there are, there are no major holes left if, in, within our, our, our specific organization. Indeed. So, uh, and uh, finally, uh, I'm going to ask you both for one piece of advice for our listeners, starting with you, Rick. So, uh, so one of the things that 2020 has really taught me uh, is something that I was told as a as a very young young man, uh, and that is to don't believe everything that you read. One of the things that we as security uh, professionals have to battle uh, this year and moving forward is dealing with misinformation. Uh, and so there's one piece of advice I would, uh, I would uh, recommend to anybody who, who is listening to our podcast today is just make sure that the information that you're acting on is coming from a, from a trusted source. And make sure that you're not working with, uh, with claims that seem too good to be true, with threats that haven't been verified. You know, just take a, take a very cautious uh, perspective on the information that you're getting. Um, it is so easy right now for misinformation to spread, and it can ultimately cost enterprises. You know uh, that 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 misstep where all of a sudden they thought they were doing the right thing, but now they've given access to their enterprise, to their information, to their keys to the wrong person. Um, you know, social engineering uh, and the like. So, just uh, there's one piece of advice. Just you know. Double check, double check the information that you get to make sure that you're making the right decision at the right time. Thank you, Rick. And Todd, what's your one piece of advice? Oh, there's so many. Um, my one piece of advice would be uh, that security has never been easy. And uh, nowadays, it's even more complicated with all the things that we've talked about, the uh, data sprawl and operational complexity. I, I guess one piece of advice uh, for everyone listening to the podcast mm -hmm. is, you know, do something versus nothing. Um, I, I see way too many organizations and colleagues choose to do nothing. The ostrich effect, put your head in the sand and assume that it's all going to go away when it comes to security. I think it's important that um, you take a look at 
what is important to you. Uh, start implementing things in phases, baby steps, but do something versus nothing. I, I think it is important to start small, build big, and, and that could be as simple as, um, as we talked about before, protecting storage or backing up information, but put some of those best practices in place. Multi-factor authentication is another example. But uh, you know, the one takeaway for folks is please don't ignore security. Um, it is important. Um, it's important for all of you as a, a personal and your families as, as you go through this pandemic from a data privacy perspective, but also for your organizations and, and companies as we continue to get through and grow our businesses as we go forward. So, and, and Todd, I totally agree with the with your comments. Um, you know, you, you can't you can't lock up and not do anything if you've got to take action. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for your insights and a very enjoyable conversation. That's all we have uh, time for. Uh, until next time. Thanks, Nira. I appreciate it. Thank you, Nira. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Love this episode of the Talus Security Sessions podcast? Search us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast service to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to visit us at cpl.talusgroup.com to access previous episodes, bringing you insights from industry experts on the latest cloud and data security news and trends. Thank you for listening.